0: I'm Maria Sansone, and this is mom to mom the podcast. I'm so glad you're here with me today. You guys, we have such an incredible conversation coming your way. I hung on every single word that my guest said because this was so interesting. So today, we're going to be talking about the power of high-control groups like cults. And you may be thinking, I have no interest in a cult, I never will be in a cult, I don't know anyone who's been in a cult, and you may think that you could never get conned into being in a group like this. And what my guest is going to tell us today is that that makes you actually more vulnerable than you even know. My guest today is Sarah Edmondson. She is the executive producer and co-host of a very popular podcast called A Little Bit Culty, which... I absolutely love that name. Her husband, Anthony Nippy Ames, is her co-host on the podcast. As you'll learn in our conversation, they met while they were both in a cult together for over 10 years. Sarah is an accomplished actress for both TV and film. She's a voiceover artist. She's a mom of two. And she is the author of a book called Scarred, The True Story of How I Escaped Nexium." After 12 years with the self-help organization, she documents in explicit detail her fight to get out. And I have to tell you, this conversation is so raw, so interesting, and Sarah is so absolutely vulnerable with us as we talk about these really heavy topics. So here is my conversation with the lovely Sarah Edmondson. Thank you so much for being here. So
1: nice to meet you virtually. So nice to meet you as well. And I, I have to tell you in prepping for this, I listened to one of your episodes and I normally only have time for cult content. So it's so nice to have a break and get some parenting content and some parenting tips. And I send it to all my mom friends cause we are always in overwhelm. So appreciate the, um, the break. So wow. thanks for that.
0: Well, thank you so much. And in doing the research for this, um, I was blown away. I mean, this was not a space where really I had thought too much about it. Um, I think now that with the HBO documentary, The Vow that came out, it had a lot of people talking and um, cults have been exposed in a way that we haven't seen before. So for people right. out there who are watching, like I kind of said in the beginning, they're like, cults, this has nothing <laughs> to do with me. Um, maybe I'll listen. Uh, people might be surprised just how vulnerable they can actually be. So. If you don't mind, kind of start from the beginning um, and talk about how you got involved in what became a nightmare, essentially.
1: Sure. So I'll give you the cliff notes. I joined in 2005. This is before the age of what we now call cult awareness, where there's so many docuseries and podcasts and true crime, and everyone's much more aware than they were in that time era. And I was looking for more. I was a actress slash waitress, as so many of us are. And I wanted more meaning in my life, more community, more purpose. And I heard about this personal development group from somebody I really liked and respected. And I went in without researching and spent 12 years there.
0: It starts out as a, person of a personal development group. So, so what did that look like? That was like seminars and meetings or small group things. Like what, how was it structured originally?
1: So it starts at least my journey started with an intensive and that was a five day training about 12 hours a day. And it was it was very similar to what I'd experienced in the therapy world. My mom's a therapist. My dad's a counselor. I've always been a seeker. I've always wanted to grow and develop myself and was had that growth mindset that I know you've talked about actually in your podcast. And that, I think, made me susceptible in the way that I was open and. Um, But yeah, the the setting is different depending on which path you would take into something like this. But for me, it was an intensive, it was a workshop, small group setting, big group setting, some video component, um, some one-on-one work. And all of it was designed to look at your limiting beliefs and to understand yourself better, build self-awareness, look at your decision-making process, and look at the areas in your life that weren't working. So you could, what we called, upgrade the software. Wow. A lot of computer <laughs> computer metaphors. Yeah,
0: and so in the beginning, of course, and I would suspect like a lot of cults, it it looks good on the outside. I mean, no one's going to willingly get involved in something that's evil or you know has right. bad intentions. So originally, it looks like something. Of course, we all want to we want to do better and we want to be our best versions of ourselves. I've heard you describe sort of the early days. It seems like there were red flags even initially. Um, But through that process of, I guess, becoming brainwashed, you kind of get talked out of listening to your gut. Talk to us about that a little bit.
1: Absolutely, I mean, there's so many things that I now know to be red flags, now that I've educated myself and gone on this journey to figure out how did this happen? And some of those red flags were circumvented by a very, I say smart loosely, but a, a, a strategic thing that the leadership did from the beginning, which is to say, you're here to grow. And when you're working on yourself, and you're growing, it's out of your comfort zone. So you're going to be uncomfortable. So we encourage you to to stick it through during those parts and not to leave. And there's truth in that I have done real therapy, and it's uncomfortable to look at yourself and and parts of yourself that you want to change. But the problem is, is that's also overlapped with your intuition. So my intuition right from the beginning was to get out. And I ignored that. And I wish that I hadn't. And I that is one of my main messages for others. If they're part of something and they're, and inside they're thinking something's not right, I don't even know what it is. And if you are committed to a group, like I was committed to also get my money's worth and I was committed to working through my quote, my issues, my stuff, every time something like that came up, I would go to somebody in the group who was able to talk me out of it. Or in this case, now we, now I know the term gaslighting, which I was not familiar with in 2005. So a lot of people stay with something that doesn't feel right because they want it to work. They want to be right about their choices and they want to, they want to grow or in my case, like you said, be the best version of myself. Yeah. And that's what I was committed to do.
0: Now, 12 years is a long time to be involved in something. So did you have people on the outside were their friends or family members who were trying to talk you about talk to you about this and and, um, and ask you how things were going. Like, were there any red flags yes. for the people on the outside?
1: Absolutely. And I'll have to say for the, in the 12 years, there was different stages of my commitment. I was a student then I was a coach and then I was a higher level coach. So there was different levels of my involvement. And I also w- was able to keep a distance to a degree because I lived in Vancouver where the headquarters were in uh, upstate New York. So even though I was a devoted member, I wasn't as devoted as the people who moved, which I think would have been the biggest red flag for my family. I think that they were always a little bit concerned and, um, but at the same time, I was happy. I was able to go from a basement suite to a waterfront condo. I had a nice car. I, I had a handsome husband at, at a certain point. It's still my husband, thank goodness. And I think that if you're looking in, uh, and same thing with some of my friends who are in other groups and religions, I go, well, I, don't, I think it's a little weird. But who am I to say? Right. You know, who am I to who am I to, to to call them out on that? So I think there was a time when my mother wanted to have an intervention, but the rest of my family thought you know, she seems happy. People knew around me that it was, that it was strange or culty. Nobody knows, nobody knew what we know now about Keith and the leadership and what was actually happening behind closed doors. If they did, they probably would have gone to the police. Including you, right? Myself as well. At that time.
0: Hey, I want to let you know about this amazing initiative that we are doing with Supporting Our Schools. It's our year-round donation and supply drive. We deliver hundreds and thousands of dollars in supplies to schools in need all across New England. Our partners at DonorsChoose have identified some specific projects that you can help fund. So please help us out. And to learn more, go to NBCBoston.com schools. This conversation is just so fascinating and you're so brave for even sharing all of this. I mean, there are some people, there's a lot of people who get involved in situations like this and they just sort of put the past behind them. Um, You've written a book about it. You do a podcast with your husband about it. And I think you're helping a lot of people. And I'm sure the stuff that we are about to talk about is not easy because we talked about how the first sort of 12 years were for you in this organization and then it feels like things go from weird to just absolutely horrifying talk about how you got involved in this other sort of subsect of this organization when things got really really scary
1: first of all i appreciate you doing your research and asking these great questions and this this part of the story is is where there's so many steps that led to how I eventually, I call it, you know, waking up. Uh, One of the reasons why I wrote the book is to give people that template because it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't like I joined this thing and agreed to, as now everyone knows, it got branded. It was a series of slow compromises over time. And ultimately I said yes to the group as it was pitched to me as a women's group. And I, I actually still believe in the power of I learned, you said this in your, in one of your podcasts, it takes a village yeah. to raise children. It takes a village to, to even to grow. I, you can't do it on your own. I don't think. And I still think that unfortunately I, I bet on the wrong horse with this particular yeah. group, uh, which has made me a little suspect of all groups and and very careful with who I led in these days. But at the time I wanted to, t- I felt stuck in my life and I felt, um, and in the growth path of Nexium, and this scene was promised as, the next level of that growth and a support group and having someone to be accountable to. All things I think that are great. Uh, it would have been great had it been true, but <laughs> that's not what it was. And it was actually, uh, now we know, a blackmail pyramid scheme for Keith Raniere.
0: Wow, so basically you were with these women who you really trusted and they kind of were leading you down this other path um, to a point where you're in a situation where you're in a room and women are getting branded. Right. And even yeah. at that point, you're still feeling stuck in that room.
1: I gaslit myself as I'd been trained to do over the last, it's like all the, t- the 12 years leading up to that moment had trained me to override what my body was saying, which is get out. And I had the indoctrination of the last 12 years in my head, which was, and it's, it's horrible to say now, but this is what was slowly taught to us is that yeah. women are always looking for the back door. I was literally looking for the back door in this moment. And then I would catch myself going, no, you got, you said that you were going to do this. This is an initiation ceremony. It's going to be painful and you're going to overcome it. Just like somebody might overcome a tough mutter or some, some physical right. challenge. And, and, I, and now I say to people, that is a, probably a much safer thing to do.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean I you to do see, what I did. You do see these seminars and these workshops and self-help things where people are walking on coals and different things happen. So, how can people tell the difference? I mean, I do see similarities with a lot of organizations and groups and, like you said, multi-level setups. Um, how can you tell?
1: Well, I I think it's important to look at the structure of of the group overall. Ultimately, when I joined Nexium, I didn't do any research. I didn't know about the smoke and the fire that was there before. And once I was already committed and had done some research at that point, I was told that that was just a smear campaign. Because when you are doing good things in the world and you're a true humanitarian, there's always going to be pushback and people will try to take you down. There's always going to be haters, which is also true. So I think one of the most toxic things with all these groups is that there's truth mixed with lies and you have to do your homework and you have to find out um, with your own due diligence, ha- have people left? Has there been scandal? What does the group say about that? And if they dismiss all of, all of the allegations as simply a scorned ex-lover or somebody, mm. a very common thing is just to say that they went crazy, which is, of course, what they said about me, um, that's a real red flag. And there's there's many, many red flags along the way to, to before even one is asked to walk on coals or get branded or karate chop a cement block or whatever, shave their head to prove that they're no longer materialistic or sit in a hot sauna to sweat out the demons, like all these things. And we've explored some of these topics, excuse me, in the podcast, the branding is is almost template to like every single group has something like this, where people are really being pushed in their physical comforts and their uh, emotional and spiritual comforts. And, and, um, what's interesting for me about learning how these groups use structures like this across the board is that, I actually didn't wake up from the branding itself. I actually was felt empowered in the moment because I thought that I had overcome something really hard, mm-hmm. which I did actually. What woke me up was finding out that the symbol, which I'd been told was a symbol for the elements, was actually Keith Ranieri, the leader of Nexium, the overarching
0: yeah.
1: company um his his initials, and that was the the seed of the rage <laughs> that then fueled wow
0: so what much of my you, what ep- were you told that that symbol was when it was happening
1: there were a couple of things one was that it was and this is to be totally honest that night is a bit of a blur but it was either greek or latin or a symbol for the elements there was a mountain shape there was a uh, a symbol for the horizon um you know earth air wind fire and that was supposed to be us grounding i mean i i, I could, it's not, it's like a ridiculous bs rhetoric of of um a mishmash of different things. Cause it was, it was, it wasn't true. It was right. Keith's initials, K-A-R in a, oh in a backwards God. monogram.
0: So yeah. how do we get from the Sarah that's in that room on that night to the whistleblower? What is the timeline there that you, as you say, became awake?
1: So I believe I got branded. i oh, I have to go back and look at the timeline, but it was in, in, I believe mid-March, and no, April, sorry. And then a couple weeks later is how uh, a number of things happened. My business partner, the one who actually brought me into Nexium, was the one who helped me to get out. And he had been told certain things and didn't know about the branding. He had been told that there was a secret group of women that was being brought together. And their first assignment was to seduce Keith. So he knew that there was sex involved. I didn't know about that. In fact, completely, completely naively, we'd been told that Keith was celibate. And I believed that for the, for the duration of my time at Nexium. So he knew about that. I knew about the branding. We had a very forthright honest conversation and together we were able to figure out what was actually happening. This part, some of these scenes are in the vow because he was recording everything at the time because he was, um, paranoid as he should have been, Mm -hmm. uh, because this is a very litigious group. Um, Everything just fell apart. My whole belief about who Keith was, what the organization was doing. And of course, the rumors had been about, about us being a cult for years were now very true in a very small instant. I, I un- what I call unraveled or woke up very, very quickly, but deciding to become a whistleblower, at first it was just, we had to get out, we had to figure out how to escape. And that plan quickly evolved into, we had to dismantle the company and and expose the truth Going to the New York Times was a decision that we made as a group. I didn't do it by myself. It, it looked like it was by myself because I was in the cover showing my brand, which was necessary to prove the physical abuse, which is the proof of the emotional abuse, which had been going on for decades. So that just, I mean, it it was, it just felt like the right thing to do. It was very, uh, um, it, was, it was incredibly scary, more so just not knowing how it was going to be uh, received or if if it would um, lead to legal action, which of course it did. I think that if I'd known how quickly law enforcement would act at at that point, I wouldn't have been as scared, but we didn't know. We didn't know how it was gonna all unfold.
0: Yeah, you had no idea, and you had been living Mm -hmm. in this world for 12 years. Did you feel like you had support from family, friends um, during that time? Had to be for the most
1: part, yeah. For the most part, I did have close family being like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" Because Mm -hmm. you know, one day your children are going to know this, and this is will be on Google, and they'll be able to find out. Um, I, 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 it had to be done. There were so many women, especially women that I had brought in or had come in through my network, that were part of this secret women's group, and there were other women who were still involved with Keith and his inner inner circle. And I just felt like I had to. Free them. I, that was that was my my main motive at that point, and to make sure that the company was destroyed. I, and that and that was also really hard because this is a community that I would loved for 12 years, and that's still a sadness that I grapple with that that's no longer.
0: Hey, have you subscribed for the Hubbub newsletter yet? It is full of recipes, behind the scenes scoop, exclusive content that you're not going to see anywhere else, not even on the show. So go to NBCBoston.com slash newsletter, drop your email, and you'll receive our newsletter every Wednesday. I want to talk about your podcast, A Little Bit Culty. Which <laughs> I absolutely love that name. <laughs> um, as fun. you say in the podcast that you do with your husband Nippy, who um, was part of Nexium as well, you you bring levity and you bring humor to this because it's such a heavy situation, um, you kind of have to. So for those of you out there who have not heard the podcast, it's very interesting. And there's moments that are just so funny because you guys um, (laughs) are so open and vulnerable. And of course, you're a married couple. So there's just like the comedy and that. What have you learned through the podcast? Because you've talked to so many people who have had a similar experience, people who've written about this, who've studied it. Wow. I've learned that there is no Organization,
1: no hierarchy, no group that isn't immune to abuses of power, and that culty stuff is everywhere. And, like you said at the beginning, those who think that they aren't susceptible or vulnerable are the most vulnerable because they won't see the red flags because they won't educate themselves. If I had had this education, if I'd listened to my podcast a little bit culty, or even seen The Vow. I wouldn't have even signed up for the Nexium five day because I would have felt the pressure that I was being given from the beginning of getting the 48 hour discount and the scarcity wow. mentality that is often presented in these types of workshops. Like if you don't get it now, it's not going to yeah. be available. I would have said, okay, well, if it's really great, it'll be there in six months when I'm ready and can afford it. Right. So, right. And I, I feel like so many of these things have have those types of high, high pressure tactics built in. So I think the thing that, that I've learned the most is that, um, it's, (laughs) it's something that you, it's, it's such a, it's a, at least in the personal development world, I'm still a seeker. I haven't thrown that out completely, although I'm very skeptical, but there's such a balance between wanting to, to be a better version of yourself and be in a growth mindset. And also, Loving yourself and accepting yourself and feeling like you are whole and complete, truly, so that you can evolve from a healthy place, not a I'm not good enough place, Mm -hmm. which I think is such a driving force in so many of the people that I've met that join these groups, or some of them were born into it, but for the most part, people are joining something and there's often a very beautiful positive drive to be a part of something to be a part of something bigger than oneself to have meaning and purpose and community and all of those things i think are really great and i just encourage people to do homework and to find community where there isn't a leadership that can be on that goes unchallenged mm-hmm. um to find you know things like that there's there's very specific things to look for And not to just, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, and leave alone. Right, because what
0: you're describing sounds a lot like organized religion in many ways. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a fine line between these things. So I want to make sure we get to this because I think it is really important. If someone is watching or listening and they feel like they have a friend or family member who is involved in a group that is a little suspect, Mm -hmm. what should they do?
1: Fabulous question. First advice is don't tell them that it's suspect and you think, they think you might be in a cult that will just push them away, especially if they were in a group like Nexium. We were trained to answer that very skillfully. I, you know, even though I speak to this, I'm not actually a therapist or a professional expert. I'm a an expert from my experience. And I've put together a lot of resources from actual experts at a little bitculty.com/slash resources. There's some incredible books and other podcasts that I recommend um, in terms of dealing with this. But generally I would say keep the keep the the person you're worried about feeling safe with you, don't label them or judge them, ask them questions compassionately. You want, you want to keep that lifeline open because their group is likely teaching them that if anyone's judging them, that they need to be cut out and isolate you from them further. So the more that you can keep that bridge of non-judgment and compassion um, open, then likely you will be the one they will go to when they feel like they need to leave or they have questions. And if they do have questions, tell them not to ask their leadership but to look outside of the group because the leadership will always gaslight them, <clears throat> excuse me, and encourage them to ignore their intuition and only go deeper.
0: I think that that's great advice. I think that's really Thank great. You. How will you, and I know we're out of time, but know. Um, it is mom to mom after all. And how does this play into your parenting? And do you think about how you'll have these conversations with your kids down the line? Absolutely. It's already started
1: actually with my eight year old, with Troy. He's, You know, he's being coached by people outside of our family, like in football and things like that. And I'm having him communicate with me, making sure that he's very clear about the feelings that might indicate something not good is going on. Or if he feels uncomfortable, that he can tell that to me. I also want to teach him to think for himself and to listen, but not necessarily be obedient. I think that's a a problem for kids if they have to just do everything that adults tell them that can set them up for future abuse. So it's a fine line, as you probably know, as a mom, you want them to listen, but you don't want them to be sheep. So it's it's a constant challenge and something I'm I'm talking to my husband about daily.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Sarah, thank you so much for. My all pleasure. of this. Thank you for sharing your story. You have done so much for, for women and for people and, um, you are incredible and it's just been thank a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you so much for being on the show and everyone out there. You can check out Sarah's book. It's called Scarred How I Escaped. And you can also check out her podcast that we were talking about. It's so good, a little bit culty and you can find the details, all of them on her Instagram. She is at Sarah Edmondson. All right. That's a wrap for this episode of Mom to Mom. Special thanks to my guest, Sarah Edmondson, who is just wonderful. And I just appreciate her honesty and her vulnerability. And this conversation was so interesting. So I hope you enjoyed it as well. If you liked it, feel free to share, to rate, to review. That goes a long way here in the podcast world. So I would appreciate it. And as always, you can catch Mom to Mom, the TV show on Mondays at 1130 AM on NBC10 Boston. If you're the the New England area. And if not, you can binge all of our episodes of Mom to Mom with Maria Sansone wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for joining me today. Have a good one.